Hello and welcome back to Lunch with Auntie. In this episode of Lunch with Auntie, we interview Simran Tor, who is a lawyer and prosecutor in Singapore. And we talk about everything from how similar law is in the movies to the gender inequity as you get higher up in law firm positions. So stay tuned to find out more about her fascinating job and how she just got to where she is today. So we've chatted a little bit about your background before, but one of the things I found really interesting is that you mentioned you considered going into medicine. Can you talk a little bit about that and how you actually decided on law in the first place? Well, I wish I could tell you there was some uh, carefully considered decision behind it, but what actually happened was, I after secondary school, I went and did my A-levels in the UK, and I think we were just being asked to pick our A-level subjects, and you know, instead of chemistry, biology, physics, I saw that they had offered subjects that they didn't offer in Singapore, politics, law, and for some reason, I was just naturally intrigued by the the subject law and I said I want to pick it and I mean you can't really combine that with science subjects so I just decided well okay here we go and really that was that that was the first step mm-hmm. yeah the, I mean the teacher was really nice I think once I did law at A levels I realized that it was a natural fit to how my own mind works because it's very analytical yeah it's sort of look at the facts sort them out um take it step by step apply the law get your your strategy right mm-hmm. and um, it just seemed very easy that that's always nice <laughs> I know I mean that's sort of when you know you're on the right path right it doesn't feel like you're making yourself force you're forcing yourself into a decision mm-hmm. it just comes to you and you feel good about it there's a flow you know what I mean yeah um and so how was that at uni like going from a levels to university level course it must have obviously been quite a step up to say the least not really actually I, I found that the big step up was between my undergraduate and postgraduate because I did a master's in okay. banking and finance law as well but um, since I already had the basics I understood law I mean the first year was quite easy um, you know no, it wasn't too much of a, a step up and uh, I think at the undergraduate level you just cover everything to a, to a very basic degree you really get to choose from a lot of areas of subtopics in law that you you can learn about. So you can really you can really pick what you're interested in because there are laws to regulate everything, right? Including space law, even gender yeah. gender and law was a was a thing I did a thesis on. That was very oh interesting. wow. Um. So what was your like kind of favorite sector of like or yeah, like section in undergraduate? I'm say. beginning to see that my passions started early. So I took gender and the law, and I found that very interesting. Um, medical law and ethics, I found interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, clearly I'm quite an ethically driven person. <laughs> no, but gender it... and the law is something quite, um, it's very pervasive. So if you look at all laws, they tend to be drafted as he, uh, using male language, or say legal defenses for criminal law, provocation. Uh, it's just the simplest example. It's... Women never get provoked on the spot because that's just not how they are hormonally built. So they actually have one less legal defense to having committed a murder than a man. Oh, I never knew that. Yeah, that's... they're more likely to sit and stew for 20 years and then suddenly, without any specific factual provocation, just snap and then, you know, burn the house down or something like that. Oh, wow. So, 
Yeah, yeah, it's very, it's very interesting. So you look at how biases have actually permeated themselves throughout the entire legal system. So not just that, but even when a woman gets sentenced in court, sometimes depending on the crime she's committed, she can be treated because she's a woman more leniently. Mm-hmm. Let's say I stole to feed my children. Yeah. She'd be treated more leniently than a man for exactly the same thing. Or I committed a violent offence. She'll become sentenced more harshly because she's such an aberration from the female norm. She's viewed as extra horrible. Okay. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I never, like, I always, whenever I think of, at least for me, you know, like, female equality in law, the only thing I really think of is Ruth Bader Ginsburg. But, um... No, no, it permeates down to the smallest level. It's quite, yeah. it's quite intriguing. Um, so what do you do on, like, a day-to-day basis? I think that's an odd thing, because, you know, at least, yeah. The, yeah, the impression is to me that you do something different every day. Um, which is so um, fascinating, because that's not really what we get taught on the brochure at school when it, when it comes to law. Well, I, I, really, I can speak from disputes law, which is what I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you do get a big variety, because the, the disputes that come before you every day are always from a different industry or on a different subject matter. So you really have to learn and go down into a lot of detail to learn about that industry, to understand it, so that you can help out with the legal part of the dispute. So specifically what I do is investigations work. That covers two areas. Mm-hmm. One is governmental investigations. That's what we know of, you know, the white collar crime, market manipulation, insider trading, fraud, corruption, that kind of thing. That's investigated by the state. So then okay. I will be involved representing the defendants, right? Then there is this other area called internal investigations, which is let's say a big corporation or any corporation discovers there's something wrong with its books, right? Doesn't know what's happening, but money is disappearing. We, as a team, go in together with forensic accountants. We lock it down, um, have the sort of publicity risk control, create special committee, and confidentially interview everyone, look at all the documents, and then come up with a report on who we think is doing what, who needs to be removed, does the company need to sue someone? Is there a criminal offense? Can the company get into trouble? How can you cooperate with the government to decrease your liability? So it's it's like we are being the police within the company in okay. confidential internal investigation. Oh, okay. so that's what I do. Oh wow, that's yeah, that's really fascinating. So I suppose like every time you take on like a new case, it's like a whole different sector, a whole different set of people, something completely different. Yeah, so we've done tech, we've done petrochemicals, shipping. Um, and you have to learn about, you know, to some degree you have to take away all pride because on day one, you meet the CEO of a multinational company to sit with you on a whiteboard and say, this is a picture of an undersea dredging rig. This is the one part that we had <laughs> manufactured somewhere that was, you know, fraudulently purchased. And I wouldn't know otherwise, but you just have yeah. to. Once you've learned it, you know something that you never knew before. Yeah, I don't really know what would be useful, but I can definitely understand, you know, like, learning loads. <laughs> um, exactly. Um, yeah, and so you t- I read an interview by you, and you talk a lot about pro bono work. I was wondering if you can tra- talk a little, bit about that, a little bit about that and why you think it's important and, you know, what it really means to you. Well, there's different kinds of pro bono contribution and that's just basically doing work 
for free for those who need it the most, right? Mm. Um, not just free work for people who don't want to pay. Um, so there is, in the legal sector, there's two levels to it. One is actually taking on the cases and representing people in the criminal justice system or family justice or civil justice, right? So you yes. do that for free because they can't afford it. Um, then there's another level, which is sort of the structural policy level. That's where I've ended up being more involved in where you set up the systems that allow people to match up with lawyers. You create the screening, you monitor it, you raise the funds to pay the lawyers for their photocopying and disbursement charges, for example, mm-hmm. um, so that they're at least encouraged to take on such cases. So I sit on the Council of the Law Society, yeah. and these are the things that we look at. Um, because in Singapore, how it's, how it's structured is that the Law Society sets up and provides all pro bono criminal work people in Singapore. It's not a governmental thing, although we do get some funds from the government. We don't have a public defender's office, for example. That was actually going to be one of my next questions. How different is it than it is in TV? Um, Generally, criminal law, I think, is what most of the TV shows are about, right? Yes. And that's what I used to do for many years when I worked at the Attorney General's chambers. Um, it's really, really, really not that glamorous. So, so we shouldn't be counting on you know, go like suits. For sure, no. <laughs> I think I saw about five episodes of Suits. Felt ridiculously angry, frustrated, and jealous at the same time because that guy has a what photographic memory. Yeah. <laughs> Stop watching it. So that was me done with Suits. Um, <laughs> Okay, first of all, people are not that fashionable in court. I mean, I try to be, but when you have to wake up at five in the morning, prepare a case, you can comb your hair, you're, you know, you're having a good day. Um, yes. And, I mean, there's a lot of, there's, the criminal courts are a place where there are hundreds of people and they're all going through something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's packed with people, there's family members, there's the accused persons, there's the police, so it's, it can be quite a fraught environment. Yeah. Um, so it isn't, it isn't sort of fancy or shiny, but everyone's there to do their job, so that, that's quite nice. Yeah. And uh, at least in the criminal courts, there's a sense of collegiacy between lawyers, so you can see sometimes, because everyone's working to the same goal, right, which is to get justice in the case. Um, yeah. You can see people helping each other out. Like sometimes, even a prosecutor may tell a very uh, young defense lawyer, hey, this is how you really want to approach this judge, for example. Yeah. Um, or maybe don't try that. Just know, you know. So it, it's nice to see that. And how much, like, do you know about the judges? You know, so you talk about, like, wouldn't try that with that judge or maybe go about it this way. Obviously, the judge influences the case. Experience. Yeah, sorry to, sorry to oh, carry no. on. No, no, no. Obviously, like, no, no, you, you continue. I think you understood the gist of my question. <laughs> okay. Um, I think it's, from, it's just over time, you learn that certain judges find certain approaches um, they're less inclined to accept it. Mm-hmm. Um, some are more by the book, some are a little more friendly. Um, you know, certain small things might irritate some judges. There's... Um, a famous example, there's a judge who, you know, you must only wear black ties in front of her because she she wants you to comply with the, the rules that strictly. So no dark blue, no red for sure. Uh, and so her court officer even has a stash of hair, a spare black ties for people who for some reason forget. 
Uh, so it's you know like little things like that that yeah. you always want to judge. She sounds. You your side. She sounds like my house <laughs> mistress, like regulating uniform. Fantastically, uh, senior judge who I really look up to. But um, I mean, this is just her one her one thing, you know. <laughs> yeah. You want her to like you, so you do you do what you need to do, right? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, and what has been the most interesting case of your time as a lawyer? Is there like one case or a few cases that like stick out as, wow, I really learned something from this? I mean, it's a very hard question because I've done so many over almost 20 years. But I think if you were in Singapore, you might have heard of the City Harvest Church. They had, um, there was a big case where this mega church was some of the pastors and key officials were accused of appropriating millions of dollars. Yeah. Um, so there were six people charged in that case. Uh, we, my firm acted for one of them. And uh, I think that trial, basically the, the, the accused were charged in 2012 and the whole thing came to an end only in 2018. So it took six years through the courts. It was one of the longest trials ever. Oh, wow. Hundreds of hundreds and thousands of documents. Um, it was interesting because it was the first criminal case, I think, that was very document-heavy. It was purely white-collar, and you just to trace the money, you'd need to look at a lot of evidence. And um, at the time, the criminal courts weren't set up to deal with something like this, so we had to get the courts to bring in a projector, have screens for all the lawyers. Um, so. It just showed the court where the weaknesses are for this kind of financial crime moving forward. There's going to be a lot more of it, right? Yeah. So the new court's building, they've taken it into account. They've put all those facilities in place. But the nice thing about the case is that all the defense lawyers for the sixth accused, we're still the best of friends. We still take yeah. turns every few months to have like a big dinner. Um, to oh, get that's them. nice. And I guess we all spend so much time in the trenches Six years? together. Yeah. Yeah. Made forever friends. Yeah, no, that's that's really incredible. I'd love to just talk a little bit about like the gender split in okay. um, your level of law. And yeah. I know that you sit on um, is it a committee that's for female lawyers. Um, yeah, so I co-founded the women's uh, practice committee for lawyers. So we never actually had a women's chapter. Yes. And it got to about 2019 and I thought, how is it? such an obvious thing hasn't been done. Yeah. Um, let's just do it, right? So <laughs> we started it and there's been a really good response. And one, one of the things that we have been doing since we started it last year was gathering a lot of data on um, just to understand the trends of our members, right? If we don't know what's happening, we can't help. So what we realized was <clears throat> there are two exit points for lawyers. Um, one is at the three to four years after qualification. And um, a fair number, maybe even, I'd say 50% leave the profession oh, wow. uh, or go in-house at that point. But that is both men and women. So males okay. and females equally decide it's not for them and they leave. And That's they decide to go to like house council and stuff like that. Yeah, or just leave entirely. And for some reason, a lot of become bakers and chefs. I don't know Okay. why. It's yeah. The complete opposite, right? Yeah, such then, a different... Um, about 15 years in, so when you're sort of reaching a late 30s, mm -hmm. is when we see another loss from the profession, but it's all 
largely women. Um, and then after that, it becomes sort of one is to three in the profession. So one woman for every three men. Oh, wow. At, at the senior levels. And I, from what we understand, the reason why there's this late 30s exodus is that is the time when you are thinking of a more senior level of partnership. And you've probably got young children or thinking of starting a family and the balance really falls on you. So it's really the oldest story in the book. Yeah. The woman has to try and balance it all uh, to achieve success and they find it hard. Yeah. And sometimes it's really, they put that pressure on themselves because if you choose the right partner, no one's going to tell you that this is all your responsibility. Mm-hmm. But they feel bad if they don't take it on themselves. Yeah. So one of the things we're trying to do is to push out this idea that to be a successful lawyer, you don't have to be that typical example of, I'm a wife and I've got you know two children and I have no helper and I'm a senior partner in my law firm. That is the only model of a successful female lawyer. No, it's not. It can be, I work part-time, I have four children, and in fact, I do a lot of pro bono work. Yeah. Why can't you be successful if you found your own balance and are doing the kind of work that you enjoy? Yeah. No, for sure. That makes a lot of sense. It's it, For me, the number one to three is really shocking because I at least know that, like, you know, when people enter law school, which is at the stage where I'm at, not personally, but, like, I can see my friends, it's 50-50. If not, there are more females than males entering law. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, the graduate level is about slightly more females than males at the point of graduation. Wow. So I just find that, like, you know, and it's the same going into it, and I just find that incredible that, like, 15 years on, it's suddenly three to one. Um, yeah, I think law is one of those careers where it's very intense. Yeah. And because it's a partnership, and you, you, only, you can learn it only by, by training over many years. It's not something you can learn in a week. Yeah. Uh, so, how it, it just typically works, and uh, the, the, the most junior people charge the lowest hourly rate, so they tend to have more work to do at the lower levels that take the longest amount of time. Yes. Like research, first cuts of drafting. Uh, so it would really help and I didn't have the benefit of this I found this all up as I was doing it is to really talk to people who have been in the profession if you're thinking of actually going into law after a law degree speak to people in the profession and speak to people from different areas of the profession that interest you because their lives can be very different Yeah. and speak to people from different sizes of law firms because okay. the person who works in a big firm like me has had a very different life than someone who works in a two-man law firm. Yeah. But there's probably more flexibility, but you will probably be asked to do a very wide range of cases. And you can't say, I'm a specialist in yes. XYZ area. Okay. Just at least in the beginning. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. To people. Yeah, tap whatever resource you can. I think a lot of firms uh, take part in university open days. Mm-hmm. Uh, use that opportunity to go up to the lawyers and really talk to them and like, add them on LinkedIn or whatever and make those connections. Then you'll understand. Yeah, no. And thinking back, this is a little bit off topic, but was there like a particular challenge that you had to overcome or what was something that was really difficult about becoming a lawyer and becoming a successful lawyer? It's hard for me to look back and think of one particular challenge. I think it was many years. Um, it is just, you have 
Okay, well, let me just reconstitute. I, I see that people have stayed in law for as long as I have and more. And it's their personality type. They have a lot of drive and grit. Mm-hmm. So they would be the kind that may stick with something even though it's extremely difficult. And then they push through the pain essentially. And then you can sort of get to a level where you maybe have a bit more control over your time. Yeah. It's not right or it's not wrong. Um, I'm not saying it's wrong to, or weaker people need the profession. But it, it, it just suits that personality type a yeah. little better. Yeah. No, that does make a lot of sense. And um, is there anything you've been reading? This is a bit more like co-curricular rather than um, what you do as a lawyer. I love asking about, you know, what are people reading and what kind of books you enjoy um, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I read a lot of like social commentary like Malcolm Gladwell. I just love that stuff. Um, But um, currently I'm trying to get through two books. I have a deadline for one, so I better get to that today. Okay. One is called The Governor's Wife. This is one of his legal... See, even in my free time, I read about legal mysteries. So you definitely um, love it. I do, yeah. So uh, it's by an author called Mark Jimenez, who's a lawyer. Mm-hmm. He lives in Texas. So all his stories are centered around different parts of Texas. So this one's called The Governor's Wife. Um, yes. And then I've got another one by a oh, Chinese author whose name I've forgotten. But it's science fiction. It's called The Three-Body Problem. I've got a book club on that on the 18th of this month. So okay. I need to get past page 30. Where am I right now? Okay. You've still got a little bit longer. And last question. Um, do you have any advice? And you've thrown in some all through the interview. But do you have any advice for people my age or people like in their first year of law, you know, to take forward? Um, yeah. I think, think about all the goals you want out of your life in the beginning. Don't start work and say, okay, I will get to partnership and then I will see how about having a family. Think, or and then I will see about doing pro bono. Think about what is, are the different buckets in your life, what you'd like to have as your balance, and then start working with that mindset. Don't, don't, like, so have a little bit of a plan as you go along. Mm-hmm. And if work starts to overwhelm you and you don't have time for the other things that are important to you, then you are aware that something is taking up more time than it should. Okay. So be clear on what your overall life goals are. Make sure that as you go along, it matches what your your, your intentions have been. Definitely. And try to get a mentor and a, a, spot, a sponsor wherever you are working. So, yeah, get... Mentor. Yeah, who gives you advice uh, mm-hmm. from time to time. It doesn't have to be the same person. It can be different people for different things, right? Yeah. And a sponsor is someone that will, in your for, in your company, back you, push you for promotions, and speak up for you when, you know, when needed. Make sure you have both of them quite early on. So mentor, sponsor, and really think about your life. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on today. Um, I don't want to take up... I don't want to take up too much more of your Saturday, but I'll end the recording here. So that's another episode of Lunch with Auntie Done. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed listening to this as much as I enjoyed making it. Follow the podcast to hear more interviews from successful women who are really, truly visionaries and leaders in their fields to find out more about their stories. Thank you so much, and I hope you have a lovely day.